2QB Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Smith, at GregSauce on Twitter. This is episode 81 of the 2QB XP and the first installment of my new Two-A-Day series. Each episode in this series features two guests, typically pairing analysts from the same fantasy side or with some other sort of connection in the community. My goal is to share with you, the listeners, a wide variety of unique takes on the quarterback position and quarterback draft strategy for all different types of formats. Yeah, 2QBs is dedicated to two quarterback and super flex leagues, but we also strive to kind of just be your home for all things quarterback. So from guest to guest, I'll dive into all sorts of different kinds of fantasy analysis with QBs, uh, from 2QB to 1QB, redraft to dynasty, DFS to best ball and beyond. Today's first guest is going to be Matt Kelly of playerprofiler.com and Roto Underworld Radio, and we'll talk about regularly fading the previous season's performances at quarterback and also evaluating rookie QBs for Dynasty. Today's second guest is Eric McClung, also a player profiler and the Big Tilt podcast, and we'll discuss the difficulty of evaluating college quarterback prospects as well as how to approach the QB position in daily fantasy. Before we get to our guests, I want to remind you that the 2QBs.com 2018 2QB and Superflex Draft Guide is now available. Visit 2QBs.com, T-W-O-Q-B-S.com to see everything that the guide has to offer. Uh, today, I specifically want to highlight the Draft Guide's article by my partner at 2QBs, uh, Salvatore Stefanelli. Um, his article is called My Favorite Metric, and in the piece, Sal asks five amazing fantasy minds to identify their favorite statistical measures of quarterback performance. So Salem covers the go-to QB metrics from Scott Barrett at Pro Football Focus, Pat Fitzmorris of TheFootballGirl.com, Jim Saunas of Numberfire, Mike Clay of ESPN, and Rich Rebar of Roto World. And that's just the beginning of what you're going to find in our draft guide. It features 221 digital pages of content from those analysts and many other heavy hitters from around the industry. And 10% of each sale is going to go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, a very good, a very important cause. Uh, so to get your copy and to dominate your two quarterback leagues, head over to 2QBs.com. That's T-W-O-Q-B-S.com in order today. Use coupon code METRIC, M-E-T-R-I-C, to get 10% off. Now it's time to get to our guests. Let's go. All right, now I'd like to welcome in Matt Kelly of PlayerProfiler.com, the Roto Underworld podcast. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, what's up? First appearance on the 2QB Experience. I appreciate you making the time, and uh, we, we got a lot to get to, so I'm going to jump right in. Let's do it. What is the what is the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway that you've gained f- through your work at PlayerProfiler.com? That down is up and up is down. <laughs> that if a quarterback was bad last year, I'm probably buying, and if he was good last year, I'm probably selling, and that most quarterbacks will shake out around the mean and it's very 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 difficult to excel at that position consistently year in and year out and once you've identified a handful of quarterbacks that you think can do that cam newton tom brady aaron Rodgers, you just need to assume the rest will fall through a sifter and end up reaching around the mean once it's all said and done once you've added up all their seasons so essentially, it, 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 it's really this complete mind bender that if a, a quarterback performs well last season in a lot of metrics, that's actually a, a reason to fade that player, that he's unlikely to repeat, and he will more likely to be overdrafted in fantasy football 
and instead go find the quarterbacks that we know are franchise quarterbacks like Derek Carr, for example, Matt Ryan. Go find the quarterbacks in those categories that underwhelmed last season. That's my main strategy when selecting quarterbacks in fantasy football year in, year out. And I didn't used to think that. I came in thinking the opposite because it's counterintuitive. Yeah. Right? It's so counterintuitive that bad would be good and good would be bad at the quarterback position. That's really what we're looking at because it's such a small sample of games, only 16 games every season. And to get to that point where you're a starting quarterback in the league, you're all, you've already passed this threshold of ability, especially now where the quarterback position is as deep as it's ever been. Most of these quarterbacks have passed certain tests to get to a level of ability where they can be a top-five quarterback if things break right. Andy Dalton has a top-five fantasy season on his resume. So does Matt Ryan. Now, so does Carson Wentz. Is he a guy that's going to endure in the top five? Is he the next Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers? Or is he just another one of these guys that pops for a season and then falls back to the pack? I'm not going to pay to find out. Yeah, Alex Smith did that last year, too. Top five. That's right. Yeah, (laughs) Alex Smith, Andy Dalton, Matt Ryan, they all have top five fantasy seasons on their resume. And that's all I need to know to go out and draft the players that underperformed. If you fell outside the top 15 and you have some top 10 seasons on your resume, I probably love you this year. (laughs) That's why I'm drafting a lot of Matt Ryan. Yeah, me too. How, How? But how do you do this with rookie quarterbacks or incoming rookies where we don't have that baseline of production from the previous season that you can either fade or go after? When it comes to evaluating guys where you don't have an NFL track record, what are you doing for your, your dynasty startups, for your dynasty rookie drafts? Well, dynasty is a completely different animal. Of course. I mean, it, no, in no way is dynasty in seasonal leagues even comparable, especially at the quarterback position. So that there are certain areas where dynasty deviates from seasonal leagues in terms of how you evaluate players, how you manage your roster. In no area does it deviate more wildly, right, than at the quarterback position, where in seasonal leagues, just waiting until the final round and get your Matt Ryan and move on and hope he has a top five season. (laughs) That's it. Nothing else. In Dynasty, there's a lot more to it, especially in Superflex and 2QB Dynasty, which is pretty much all I do. So all our patron leagues at playerprofiler.com, we have an online community of users through Patreon, and we set up listener leagues, and a lot of them are Dynasty, and they're all 2QB. So the starting roster is 2QB, 3 running back, 5 receiver, 2 tight end, 1 flex, no kicker, no defense, because fuck kickers and fuck defense. So just the fun positions. We maximize the amount of fun positions that we start every week. And that means two quarterback because, of course, why not have more players active, more players scoring more points? I don't understand how in 2018 there is still a such thing as a one quarterback league. <laughs> it's like, why? There's this whole pool of players producing lots of fantasy points every week, helping nobody. That doesn't make sense. That's illogical maximize the number of fantasy points that teams in your league can score by going 2QB. So in a 2QB dynasty league, a lot of quarterbacks get drafted in round one. 
Mm-hmm. And at that point, you really have to dig into the evaluations of the quarterbacks. And first and foremost, what you're always looking for is production. You're looking for production and production at an early age. In that way, it's really no different than evaluating a wide receiver, where you're looking for dominance and you're looking for dominance at an early age. And the young quarterback that is rising fastest, other than Deshaun Watson, I think we all know why Deshaun Watson's rising in Dynasty. He had the most efficient season or half season we've seen in some time, (laughs) much less by a rookie, by anybody, by anyone playing quarterback. Mm -hmm. But beyond the obvious in Deshaun Watson, it's Patrick Mahomes. And if you look back at what Patrick Mahomes did at the college level at Texas Tech, he broke out at a very early age, age 19, which is 94th percentile. A 19 breakout age is, is very young at quarterback. He also was efficient, 82.5, but he was not drafted well inside the top 10. He was the 10th overall pick. Why? Because for whatever reason, NFL scouts labeled him as a system quarterback. That was what happened. He was besmirched as a system quarterback and was drafted after Mitchell Trubisky. Do the Bears wish they had a redo? Absolutely. <laughs> Matt Nagy comes from Kansas City. He knows. You have to imagine having to watch Mitchell Trubisky's practice film in the evening after every camp practice. You know in the back of his mind, you know, in, the, in not even in the recesses, in the front of the mind, Matt Nagy's thinking, Fuck, we should have drafted Patrick Mahomes. God damn it. <laughs> oh, if we had just drafted Mahomes. And they could have had him. Nine teams could have drafted Patrick Mahomes a year ago, who is the best quarterback to come out of college in some time because it wasn't a system that was propelling Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes was the system. And that's how so many get it backwards. It's not the system that propelled Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma, that was the Baker Mayfield system that allowed a tight end like Mark Andrews to be so prolific. The One of the reasons why Texas Tech was so prolific and they put up so many, so many counting stats there was because Patrick Mahomes is just so damn talented. The fact that he can drop it in the bucket from 50 yards away, that he has the arm strength and the mobility and the accuracy. And that all shows up just looking at the stats. And then when you look at the workout metrics, you're like, oh, wow, okay, so he has a 1096, 95th percentile agility score. So his ability to move in the pocket and avoid the rush laterally is as good as any young quarterback we've seen. And then he has the 60-mile-per-hour throw velocity, which is the 97th percentile as well. So he has a rocket arm with great athleticism, and he comes from – you know, a pedigree, an athletic pedigree, where his father, Pat Mahomes, was a pitcher in the major leagues. So everything is lining up for him. He has the stats. He has the measurables. He has the pedigree. He has everything. So why he wasn't the first overall pick in the NFL draft, or at least drafted by the Chicago Bears last season, I don't know. But we went ahead and posted him up as our number one quarterback on the player profiler rookie rankings last season and never looked back. And whatever biases the NFL scouts have about systems and schmistems, that doesn't show up in the advanced metrics, and we got it right. So when you're looking for that production, I mean, that that matters for your draft evaluation process and figuring out which of these QBs you believe is the best player in that particular particular class. 
but how I'm interested in how you view the transition of those players. Like at what point between, you know, seeing that college production and getting into their NFL careers, is it fair to maybe let go of maybe some of the analysis you made based upon the college production? Like a guy like Case Keenum comes to mind for me as a player who, you know, had the college production, but didn't necessarily pan out for those first couple of years. And then you put him into, you know, a good situation in Minnesota. And he, he lucked into it because Bradford got hurt. Like you read my mind. Case Keenum is a guy that deserved truther status. If you were going to be a truther in two QB leagues and keep a quarterback stashed, that guy was Case Keenum because to this day, he's the most prolific quarterback in the history of college football. He's the reason why we have the air raid offense. He invented the air raid offense. The air raid offense at Houston was built around Case Keenum and all of his ability, his ability to be a 5,000-yard passer each and every season. That matters, that ability to do it. It doesn't matter if it's at a lower level, right? The fact that he did it on a football field, that matters. Performing on a football field at a high level matters more than anything else. So the fact that he was able to do that he just didn't get an opportunity to show it at the NFL level, right? And he was, you know, banished to teams like the St. Louis Rams, like Nick Foles. So both Case Keenum and Nick Foles were put in situations where they were doomed to fail, and their dynasty stock collapsed because of it. But if you take a step back and you zoom out and you say, okay, well, Nick Foles was one of the most efficient quarterbacks we've ever seen. So we talked about how Deshaun Watson's efficiency was astronomical last season. Well, so was Nick Foles in his second year in the league. Mm -hmm. He was right there with Peyton Manning, who also had one of the most efficient seasons in the league that season. They were they were remember the, the, the remember the touchdown interception ratio? Nick Foles was like twenty seven to two. It was crazy. Right? It was a, but that was again the system, right? Nick Foles efficiency was attributed to the coach. And if we can just detangle the system and the coach from the player and relearn because the media has the, – the media sounds like, like – the media, the media. But seriously, the NFL draft media especially, but all sports media, they have these crutch narratives. And the coaching narrative is by far and away the most pervasive crutch narrative in all, in all sports. It's, it's in soccer. It's in, it's in baseball. It's in every sport. It's really pervasive in football. So if you can learn to – cancel that noise out around the coaches and give the players credit for their performances, well, you would have been a Nick Foles truther all along. You would have been a Case Keenum truther all along, and they deserved that. There are so many biases that push these players down unfairly, just pushing Patrick Mahomes out of the number one slot to the number 10 slot in the draft, pushing Case Keenum out of the draft, almost pushing Case Keenum out of the league the same biases that didn't allow Adam Thielen to have a career until age 26. So if you focus on the right details, like Adam Thielen's dominator rating or Case Keenum's passing yards per season at the college level, you can identify the guys for which you should be a truther on. And we have all these, these taxi squad roster spots. So instead of stashing these athletic players that can't produce – I would argue that you should be stashing the prolific producers, even if they're not great athletes, it, which is, again, counterintuitive because at playerprofiler.com, 
we're emphasizing athleticism. We love to show the athleticism numbers because they're interesting. And so few sites do a good job of presenting the athleticism numbers. So we're happy to do it. But over the years, we've also come to learn that they're all often overvalued and the production numbers are undervalued. So who is 2018's most overvalued quarterback? That's Jared Goff. Correct. Why is that? <laughs> Why is it Jared Goff? What did I just get done talking about? Yep, you look at last year's numbers. The coach fetish. Yeah. The, the coach fetish. Too. Why Jared Goff is so overvalued is because of the presence of Sean McVay. You're not just drafting Jared Goff. You're also drafting Sean McVay. Oh, Sean McVay. Oh, oh, oh he's so good. Oh, he's so amazing. You, oh, you get a first overall pick and you get Sean McVay. And you wonder why that player is being overdrafted in all formats. Yeah, I've been railing against Goff myself a lot. I uh, the the thing for me is like you look at just the the touchdown rate from last year was out of control. The fact that he was like the season long stats don't really back up what he did week to week. Like for he had a lot of really big games, but then he had a lot of really mediocre or straight bad games. And that's not what I want for my quarterback in fantasy. Like generally the position is very predictable in the first place. And I want to steer into that. Like I'm looking for that. Yeah. You know why his performances were so uneven because he's a fake gunslinger. He's a game manager wearing gunslingers clothing just because he has the Sean McVay headset in his helmet He's viewed as this gunslinger, this productive and efficient fantasy producer week in, week out. You can rely on Jared Goff. No, you can't. No, you can't. He only threw 58 deep balls last year in 15 games played. That's not a lot. That's less than four per game. That's not a gunslinger. That's a game manager. That's a game manager whose defense just improved significantly with a strong run game. Why the fuck are you drafting that guy in fantasy football can we make any corollaries to alex smith uh, in the andy reed coaching system last year and maybe i mean we already know that his performance last year was an outlier but where do you fall on him in the spectrum well do you remember week one why was alex smith so productive because they had to score points because their defense was not good and it's only getting worse which is why i like patrick mahomes mm-hmm. well the rams defense is getting better the rams are going to continue to be a careful offense so this is why we're not drafting brandon cooks we're not drafting jared goff if anyone you're drafting who the game manager loves the slot receiver cooper cup that's it that's all so who's 2018's most undervalued quarterback marcus mariota marcus mariota it's like yeah it's like it's like an opera mariota So you buy the coaching narrative change, huh? No, I just buy the <laughs> fact that he's good. And he was bad last year. This is what we talk about. Yeah. If all the metrics were bad last year, I love you. <laughs> it's just a straight, mean reversion play. And it's not that his coach is any better than any other coach. It's that his coach isn't bad. Like There's a reason why we like Mitchell Trubisky this year. And partly it's the coach, but it's not its not about the coach he has. It's about the coach he doesn't have because coaches are not responsible for unlocking players. But what they can do is doom them. Coaches absolutely 
have more power to throttle players than they can to unleash them. So John Fox absolutely throttled Mitchell Trubisky last season. And Marcus Mariota was absolutely throttled by the, the whatever system you want to call that the the exotic smash mouth was that that's the word that's what they that called was it the fr- that was the 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 stupid label that they gave their run first offense exotic smash mouth like just trying to dress up a, a 1970s approach to running an offense even though we have all the data from 2017 at our disposal that tells us we should be passing more than we're running. And it, it shows us these these concepts like RPO concepts, which help you to uh, identify what the defense is showing you and, 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 and give fake looks and get the defense on its heels and, 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 and switch out of bad plays into good plays. So we have a lot of flexibility now and a lot of concepts where – if you do have a modern coach, they can give the keys to the system to the quarterback, and then that quarterback can go out and excel like we saw last year with both Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. And I think that that's what they will give those keys to Marcus Mariota. He was just Mariota and Trubisky, th- those, th- those were withheld from them. They were forced to simply run the ball even when the defensive look dictated a throw, even when they had a great matchup on the outside. They were forced to, to run the ball anyway. So now those restraints are taking away, taken away from Marcus Mariota, and he can just be who he is. He can just be that guy that we saw in college. The, guy, the reason we love Case Keenum, the reason we love Patrick Mahomes, the reason we love Baker Mayfield, because of that college QBR, 90.9, 97th percentile, the college yards per attempt, 10.0. This stuff all matters to me. The fact that Mariota played all those years in college, when I'm zooming out and I'm looking at the whole profile, I'm seeing that. And I'm seeing efficient play early in his career. And just one bad season in the last seven for Marcus Mariota, a mobile quarterback who's also an accurate thrower. There's a handful of those in the league. One of them's Russell Wilson. The other one's Marcus Mariota. And yet Marcus Mariota is available 10 rounds later. So yes, <laughs> that's the guy I'm drafting, who also has weapons that I think are blossoming, right? Corey Davis, Taewon Taylor, Jonu Smith, Dion Lewis. Everything is clicking together for Marcus Mariota. I mean, all think about all the external forces that can push a player forward or hold them back. Well, they're all, there's just a one complete tailwind aiding Marcus Mariota this year where all these external forces should be helping him execute plays for first downs and touchdowns on Sundays. Yep. That's my guy too. I talked him up in uh, the world famous Roto underworld or player profiler draft kit. I I was pleased that you guys invited me to do that because I'm super high on Mariota as well. Yeah. Fantasy-draftkit.com. 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 Get it. Who's the toughest quarterback to evaluate this season? That's a good question. There's a handful. I mean, there's always a couple. Like I said, I talked about with Wentz. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe Wentz is what we saw last year. The ceiling is incredible, right? But he might just be 
I think Andrew Luck is also difficult to evaluate for a lot of people. He's not for me. I think Andrew Luck is Andrew Luck. I think he's back healthy. I think the human body heals. I think we have medical technology that will allow vintage Andrew Luck to reemerge. So there's not really a, a lot that that we to ask questions about. We, we're scrolling down this list of quarterbacks. We know who Tom Brady is. That's pretty basic. We know who Drew Brees is. That's basic. With Drew Brees, there is a question, though, which is how much will game script impede him? The consensus is that it was game script that really undid Drew Brees last season. That's the reason he only had 16.4 fantasy points per game. It's because the defense improved significantly, and he's always operated with a bad defense. But that's not, not actually true. If you go look back through time, New Orleans has had some top 10 defenses in the past, mm-hmm. and Drew Brees was prolific in those seasons. So I think that there's more to it than just the, the quality of the defense. I think it was a, a difficult schedule. I think it was just circumstantial. So I do believe that Drew Brees is going to bounce back this season and ha- and be close to top five again. Lamar Jackson is a difficult one because we just don't know how much he's going to play. I want Lamar Jackson to play. I think there's a real chance that he could play as early as September because John Harbaugh has a reputation for implementing the unpopular policies, for making the choices, for for going out and making choices that are in the best interest of his team that aren't necessarily appreciated by the fans and by the sports media. So if you had the right coach that you could – get in Baltimore that has the leadership skills, the moxie, right, to go ahead and push the button on Lamar Jackson as soon as the end of September, I think it's John Harbaugh. So it's very exciting. I mean, really, there's there's almost no quarterback on this list of the starters that I have a hard time evaluating, with the exception of Alex Smith, because last year was such an outlier season for him, and the supporting cast was the best. We look at target separation mm-hmm. on playerprofiler.com. So at the target point, what kind of separation were the receivers getting? And Alex Smith's receivers in aggregate had the best target separation of any receiving group in the league last year. So, and you look at, think of the skill set that he had at his disposal last year. It was incredible. At every, at every level of the field, you know, very close. You have Kareem Hunt, who was a phenomenal receiver, even, you know, looking back at what he did in college at Toledo. You have Travis Kelsey in the intermediate zones. You have Tyree Kill deep. So they were winning in all quadrants of the football field. It was really a dealer's choice when you're thinking about Alex Smith's decision making, right? He had players that were running free <laughs> at all levels, and he also could run himself. So he really was in a no-lose proposition last season. Now he goes to a team where they're really – we have a very nebulous receiving core, right? Mm-hmm. We're hoping that Jordan Reed is healthy. When he's healthy, he's a top-five receiving tight end. That's great. What's Josh Doxson? Is he just a red zone threat? Is he like the go-to X receiver? You know, is, he a, is he a number one in the NFL? Uh, Jameson Crowder is a slot guy. Right. What's what's Paul Richardson's role going to be? Right. So there's a lot. And and was he propelled? Was he really buoyed by Russell Wilson's deep ball accuracy? How good is Paul Richardson? 
So a lot of these receivers in Washington, we're not sure how good they are. So we're not sure what Alex Smith's supporting cast is going to look like. But I am more apt to believe that Alex Smith is the Alex Smith that we saw before 2017 than the Alex Smith that we saw last year. But I don't know, man. I don't know. That was one of the strangest things I've ever seen was the Alex Smith 2017 season. So his 2018 forecast is the hardest of all the quarterbacks for me to get my arms around. Yeah, I agree. It's really tough to dismiss that super long track record he had had previous to 2017. He has a season on his resume where he did not hit a wide receiver for a touchdown for 16 games. Like, that happened. Now, his receivers were Donnie Avery and Dwayne Bowe understood, but it still happened. I was there, man. I mean, I wasn't there, but I saw it on the internet. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit more about where you actually want to draft these guys. What is the typical price point at which you'll start to consider drafting QBs in a one quarterback league? The last round. (laughs) Okay, that's the Denny Carter take as well. He was on last the last episode and yeah, he, he had the same opinion. Well, it's very deep. This wasn't always the case. Sure. I've been a late-round quarterback drafter for some time, but it's so deep now. And you could even stream a Tyrod Taylor at the beginning of the season and go from there, right? Mm -hmm. You don't even have to draft a top-20 quarterback and feel comfortable about it. You can just – you can draft a guy honestly saying to the league, I'm streaming quarterback as early as week one. Fight me, right? with Tyrod Taylor or do what I'm going to do, which is a Matt Ryan and a Derek Carr in the final rounds. If it's a deeper league, you can also get away with doing two quarterbacks. So you could go one quarterback for a floor like Matt Ryan, and then you could chase a ceiling with a Mitchell Trubisky. That's another option. But these are all the late round guys. You're not going to get me to move up and burn a draft pick that could be, you know, a, a sleeper top 10 running back or a sleeper top 10 wide receiver that I love. You're not going to get me off one of those guys. You're not going to get me off a Kenny Galladay. You're not going to get me off an Aaron Jones to get a quarterback. That's not going to happen. How much are you looking at, you know, early season schedule, like those first two to three weeks when you're deciding which guys you want in that sort of, you know, streaming from the jump approach? Yeah, if you're streaming from the jump, then you absolutely need to do that. Yeah, the early season schedule is. Something I'm so shocked at how few people look at the early season schedule, and with with some with some players it's actually really challenging, right? Their their schedule is 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 they're really facing a gauntlet early in the season. Mariota, right? So then it, it's 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 less attractive. With Mariota, I love him both in seasonal leagues and in dynasty. And I just happen to have him in so many of these dynasty leagues. And I was, that was one of the cases where I was willing to, to draft a quarterback earlier than I typically do in a two QB dynasty startup. Even in two QB leagues, I tend to wait and I tend to draft the same guys, the same guys we've talked about already today. We're talking about Derek Carr, we're talking about Matt Ryan. We're talking about Mitchell Trubisky and now Marcus Mariota. But a couple of years ago when I was drafting Mariota in so many of these leagues, he was quite expensive. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot of hope in Marcus Mariota. Some of that has faded now. There's some Marcus Mariota fatigue, and I'm happy to trade for Mariota whatever possible because of it and take advantage of it. But 
you had to go and get him in the fourth and fifth round in Superflex and two QB leagues just a couple of years ago. And I was willing to make that investment because he had such a sterling college resume. And I don't believe in dismissing a player as a system quarterback. The system quarterback is a fallacy. Like we've seen, we're going to see it again with Patrick Mahomes this year, right? I mean, if you don't draft system quarterbacks, then why are you drafting Patrick Mahomes? Because he was unanimously viewed as a system quarterback coming out. So you're not allowed, if you don't like system quarterbacks, you're not allowed to draft Patrick Mahomes. So you go ahead and, and buy that criticism, right? Use that criticism to your advantage and go ahead and get those players and with Marcus Mariota, I've just never seen a quarterback coming out of college that checked all those boxes. We talked about the efficiency in the 90th percentile or above, including breakout age, by the way, where he was a starter at Oregon at age 18. It's just very rare. And then to have a Spark X score, the Nike composite athleticism metric, above the 95th percentile, as well as the Wonderlick, 33 Wonderlick in the 74th percentile, I mean, what do you want? In terms of attributes you want in a quarterback, it's almost like they made Marcus Mariota in a lab. So that's why he's the quarterback that I was willing to to sort of move up and, and push the button on before I would ever normally draft a quarterback in the last few years. So now all my – I don't believe in dynasty in creating a portfolio and treating it like an like you're like – an investment manager, okay? There's so many wannabe hedge fund portfolio managers in fantasy football looking at their exposure in quotes. Now, I have 100% exposure to Marcus Mariota in 2QB and Superflex leagues, and everyone just has to eat it because he will re-break out this season. Yeah, I mean, if you want to play the stock market, go play the stock market. In fantasy, I want to draft the players I want to root for. I want to draft the best players. And yeah. why? <laughs> what am I going to draft a, a, an inferior team because of exposure? Fuck out of here! It's it's dynasty. You own these players for life. You better make the right decision. Now, how about if we want to draft some players or have to draft some players that we don't like? Who's the worst starting quarterback? You'd be fine with rostering in a one QB league as your, I guess, as your de facto starter? See, I, the answer really is Andy Dalton, because I think he's going after Case Keenum, but I just can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't like him. I, I don't know what it is. I, I Maybe it's I, I, maybe I'm biased. Wait, which of the two don't you like, Keenum or Dalton? I'm, I'm fine with Dalton. I mean, I'm fine with Keenum. Oh, my God, I don't know what I think anymore. Ah! <laughs> I think I should be happy waiting for Dalton in deep single quarterback leagues and two QB and super flex leagues. I should be happy starting Dalton. I'm just not. It, it doesn't make any sense. I think that the Cincinnati Bengals are due for an overall team efficiency mean reversion. I think there will be this positive reversion. I think you're going to see Andy Dalton exceed expectations this season. We think – Mixon is going to break out. We think that A.J. Green is going to bounce back. We think that Giovanni Bernard's a value. Well, if all that's the case, then by definition, Andy Dalton has to be better than expectations this season. But I just can't do it. I just can't do it. So for that reason, I will draft Case Keenum maybe a round before he should go if I'm in a spot where I need a quarterback because I really like Keenum. 
I like him for all the reasons we talked about. He's been so prolific. You know, whenever given an opportunity, he's just been snake bitten. And be, the, the, there's this assumed rational decision making in the NFL, and that's such a in fantasy gamers, we can exploit that. Like this idea that Case Keenum never got an opportunity because, you know, the NFL scouts and evaluators they know what they're doing. You know, they know he's no good. No, that's not right. No, that's not right. They're focusing on all the wrong details. They're focusing on his size, and it, it which is the, one of the reasons why Russell Wilson, even though he was one of the best college quarterbacks we've ever seen, wasn't a first-round pick. So there's some real irrational biases that are based on nothing that are dooming certain players for many years early in their career until they finally get an opportunity, and there's a lot of pressure. Think about it. Think about it. You've been unfairly dismissed for your whole career. You finally get one last opportunity. You get one shot, one opportunity to, to achieve everything you've ever wanted. You, you go pull an M&M eight mile. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure, man. And the fact that Case Keenum stepped up in the face of that pressure and almost took his team to the Super Bowl, that's really impressive. Denver was impressed enough to pay him like a starting quarterback. And now – he not only has Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, he has Cortland Sutton, who has the highest ceiling of all the wide receivers in this class. And I love DJ Moore, but Cortland Sutton does have the size in addition to all the other, the athleticism and the prolific production at SMU, and he can win in all quadrants. So it's really exciting that the Denver Broncos seem to be putting Cortland Sutton on a trajectory to start in three receiver sets. I don't know who's going to play slot. What I want them to do is to move Demarius Thomas into the slot because Demarius Thomas sucks on the outside. I didn't want to just say sucks, right? That's but not nice. That's not nice. But I, he's <laughs> Demarius Thomas has bad hands and he's a bad route runner. And now he's in his 30s. Why the hell is he playing outside? If there, This is the one big receiver that should be moved into the slot that no one ever talks about is better off in the slot. It's absolutely Demarius Thomas. I just want to move him to the slot because he can hurt you less in the slot. You know, He can have less of those drive-killing drops that Demarius Thomas has been so known for if you reduce the target distance distance and depth and reduce the the degree of difficulty on the catches for Demarius Thomas move him into the slot post up Cortland Sutton out at X and you let Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders kind of play off each other on the right hand side that's the ideal talent configuration for those wide receivers and imagine what Case Keenum could do with that wide receiver group imagine if Jake Butt steps up and he's actually good we have no idea what he is he's a complete athleticism black box because he hurt his knee and he couldn't test. Royce Freeman is an underrated receiver out of the backfield. Devontae Booker is also a, a very capable satellite back. So when you think about the supporting weaponry, most of the, most of the pieces in this Denver offense are undervalued, from Royce Freeman all the way to Case Keenum. Who's your favorite quarterback to make the sort of leap that Case Keenum did uh you know going from that perennial backup role someone who maybe has been dismissed to uh a player who might just be a, an actual starting quarterback in the nfl who's who's your pick for that teddy bridgewater very easily yeah teddy bridgewater is a starting caliber quarterback in this league 
He suffered a devastating knee injury where other players that saw the injury were vomiting on the field. That happened. And he's back. And it's just a great story, man. It's a great story. We all should be rooting for Teddy Bridgewater. But beyond that, he was just good. You know, He was just good. It was one of the more bizarre – I've had so many out-of-body experiences watching quarterbacks fall in the draft every year, whether it's Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater, this year with Lamar Jackson – Teddy Bridgewater also falling to pick 32. That's where Lamar Jackson was selected. How about Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just it, it's an out-of-body experience. The quarterbacks in the green room are having an out-of-body experience. We, as football analysts who pay attention to the right details, also having an out-of-body experience watching this happen, just like I'm having an out-of-body experience watching the Buffalo Bills trade away second-round picks they need to rebuild their franchise to get – Josh Allen, who is a poison pill that will surely doom their team for the next five years. Teddy Bridgewater is the opposite. He was available for $5 million. Anyone could have signed him. And he was efficient and productive. And he was a young breakout player at Louisville. He ha- he checks all those boxes. Not to the degree that Marcus Mariota does, but he's just like a bit lesser version of Marcus Mariota across the board. So, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely Teddy Bridgewater. We're going to be looking back in five years, and Teddy Bridgewater is going to be this veteran starting quarterback in the league, and it's going to be the most natural thing. And this knee injury he suffered seven years ago will be this distant memory. Where would you like to see him end up? Well, it's really about him and Foles. I am collecting as much Bridgewater and Foles and 2QB and Dynasty Leagues as possible because these guys are going to be coveted free agents a year from now. You can trust me on that. And there aren't that many starting quarterback chairs in the NFL. That's the only problem. Like, where would you like him to go? Well, Miami, right? The Ryan Tannehill era has one more year left. Is Devontae Adams going to break out? If you t- if, is Devontae Parker if if you promised me that Devontae Parker would break out and become the next AJ Green, which was what his ceiling was, his potential, then I might say Miami, right? But if it's if it's not Miami, then what about Cincinnati? Because I think the Andy Dalton era is going to come to a close after this season as well, and you still have AJ Green, you have a burner and John Ross. There's still some exciting pieces there in Cincinnati. Also, like some of their ancillary receivers, I think that Tyler Boyd still has a chance to become a a quality possession receiver in the NFL. Josh Malone has an intriguing athletic profile, size, speed profile. So I, I really like the wep- the supporting cast. They just drafted Mark Walton, one of the best satellite backs in the draft. Somehow, maybe Tyler Eifert, you know, is healed and healthy. I mean, there's a lot of exciting weapons, but here's where one of them could go. You know, this is exciting. Now, just just hold on for a second. I'd love to see Teddy Bridgewater in Tampa because I'm just not sure how much longer Jameis Winston's going to be in the league. I don't think that he's built. For the long term in professional sports. So we'll see. We'll see if 
Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston isn't. Would you agree? He's one strike away. It sure seems like it. He's one strike away. We have another eight months where Jameis Winston will be riding in cabs, lifts, Ubers, out there in the public taking chances. And if that quarterback role, the starting quarterback role, opens up in Tampa, we're talking about Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Justin Watson, O.J. Howard, Ronald Jones. Oh, my God. That's instantly a top 10 supporting cast for either Teddy Bridgewater or Nick Foles. Sign me up. Yeah, I, it's, you're definitely going to see Winston out there taking risks of his own, but I think as long as he has that prototypical size and the fact that he has produced, like there are going to be some NFL teams who probably take a risk on him as well. I, I don't necessarily see him one being strike out of, away, man. You think I'm he's going to be out of the league entirely? It's, like it's, I can see him being on a different team. It's hard to team. imagine, right? I'm so glad Marcus Mariota was in that class with Jameis Winston, and I don't have to worry about having Jameis Winston on a dynasty roster. I mean, I, I, I feel so bad for all the Jameis Winston dynasty owners, especially in two QB leagues where it's not a significant investment. And at any point, you know, it could be over vaporized. Yeah. I mean, we've just seen so many talented players with off field issues, get second and third and fourth chances that I, I agree with you. Winston might not be long for Tampa, but he would probably land with a different team. Wouldn't you expect that to happen? Sure. Yeah, but uh, just he's not, you know, that there's only so there's only so many incidents that one can sustain. Yeah, you know, Ezekiel Elliott really w- was right on the edge, right? He rolled the lightning, and that that seems like a distant memory. So mm-hmm. hey, hey, it could happen. I hope it happens for all the Jameis Winston enthusiasts out there. Hey man, I hope you yeah, hope it keeps on keeping on, right? I hope he can. You know that that sometimes that that you need to paint yourself into a corner in order to change your behavior, and that's certainly the case with a lot of people. So maybe that's maybe that's the case. But uh, there's also New York, right? Yeah. So if not Tampa, how about Odell Beckham? How about Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley? That sounds like a pretty good team. I'd like to be a part of. That sounds like a top ten supporting cast. So this is a lot. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm saying. At first, it seems like, right? At first glance, it seems like, oh, there's not a lot of landing spots. I'm not excited about Foles and Bridgewater. What's what's really the best that could happen for them, right? Maybe they're fringe starters in the league. They may or may not end up. Oh, it feels a lot like AJ McCarron from last year. Eh, they might end up on the Bills, maybe. Eh, not the case. Not the case. There's also the quarterback class next year is not nearly as strong as it was this season either. So for a bunch of reasons, Nick Foles, Teddy Bridgewater, very intriguing. Yeah, very, very interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on them, start to stash them on our dynasty rosters. Matt, I really want to thank you for your time on the show today. Do you have any other thoughts on analyzing quarterbacks or on draft strategy for the position that you want to impart to the listeners before we sign off here? Just wait. Just take a breath. Just wait and take a breath before drafting your quarterbacks. And as long as you see about a pool of five guys that you feel like you can go to battle with, Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, Case Keenum, just wait another round. 
you know, let your opponents decide your quarterback for you. Device. And before I let you go, say something nice about this episode's other guest, uh, your colleague, Eric McClung. Oh, Eric McClung. He is the host of the Big Tilt podcast on Roto Underworld Radio during the season. He's a DFS guy, but he's also in two QB Dynasty leagues. So this guy is very versatile, and you can find the Big Tilt podcast and my show, the Roto Underworld show, and the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast on iTunes. Just search Roto Underworld. Yep, check it out, and make sure you're following Matt on Twitter at Fantasy underscore Mansion, and we'll be right back with Eric. I'd like to welcome in Eric McClung to the show. We're recording as the Hall of Fame game is taking place. And uh, Eric, it's good to have you on. I think first appearance on the 2QB experience. Thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Yes, it is my first appearance, Greg. And yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, you mentioned the Hall of Fame game. It's kind of secondary. I, I rushed down here, uh, put the kids to bed, rushed down to the basement, dusted off the, uh, the, uh, the microphone. It's been a little while since I did a podcast. Uh, but dusted off the mic, dusted off the, the headphones, and uh, we're ready to roll. Yep, and we're going to jump right into it. This is the kind of default question I ask everybody in this series. What is the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway that you've gained through your work at playerprofiler.com? You know, as the years go by, I think what we don't know about quarterbacks just becomes more and more apparent because uh, height doesn't seem to matter. It, you know, we've had Drew Brees uh, for several years, but now – Tyrod Taylor, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, and I'm extremely, extremely high on Baker Mayfield. So as long as you're around six feet something, you're you're good to go at quarterback. Um, does experience matter in college? Because I like Mitchell Trubisky quite a bit. And if he pans out, you know, there's not a lot of college starts under his belt. So does that matter? Uh, ball accuracy, throwing velocity is measured by the combine radar guns. Does that matter? Because Deshaun Watson doesn't seem to think so. Uh, does accuracy matter? Cam Newton doesn't seem to think so. So, uh, you know, it's just sort of we don't know. Uh, and a lot of things, you know, prototypical size and uh, arm strength, these things just as the years go by and these new exciting players enter the league, these conventional thoughts just get thrown out the window. So uh, what I'm learning is that there's a lot that we don't know and, and outliers do exist. So how do you kind of parse through that to find the guys that you do like? Like you've mentioned, you mentioned both Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield as being undersized quarterbacks that have found success or, or that we expect are going to find success in the case of Mayfield. Like, how would you compare those two players together? Like, that's one of the big questions we have to figure out as two QB drafters is who's going to start the most games, who's going to have the most value in that quarterback core. Um, what's your thought on those two guys? And how do you kind of wade through this stuff that we don't know to figure out which one of those guys you like more? Well, if we're talking just specifically Tyrod versus Baker Mayfield, you know, in in like a redraft context, I would have no issues with Tyrod Taylor going, you know, taking him very late because, you know, I, I think we're all late round QB guys at this point in, in redraft. So uh, I'd be fine with Tyrod, even if it's a half season or whatnot. That's OK, because I'm going to probably end up streaming for for better matchups at, at some point anyway. So. Um, I, I think he's a good player, and, and certainly the, the weapons now in, in Cleveland are the best that, that he's ever seen. Uh, but, yeah, in Dynasty, I'm not really going to discount Mayfield at all. I think, uh, I mean, rookie drafts are probably well well taken care of by now, but in a 2QB league, I had you know no issues taking him one. Uh, I'm a huge Lamar Jackson fan. I, I don't, you, know, you mentioned the Hall of Fame game. I don't have it on. I don't know if he's in the game yet, uh, but I, I love Lamar Jackson. Uh, as well so I, I even though and he's in the same situation where he you know he may not play at all this season maybe a half season whatever the case may be 
But I'm not going to discount them in, in Dynasty at all. I think both of those guys are, are two big studs. So it just depends on, on the league, I guess, that you're playing in. Okay, so then getting back to just the general quarterback evaluation, I guess what factors matter more to you? Like you've talked about how there are outliers in every situation, but for the most part we have to use the data that we're given in terms of evaluating these guys. Like what are you looking for from your quarterbacks, either statistically or narratively, like anything along those lines? Like is there something that makes you like a quarterback more uh, you know, than the consensus or more than uh, you, you know, just another quarterback? Yeah, well, I think all the guys that we've talked about, with the exception of, of Breeze, have all been rushing guys. So that's something that I definitely like to look at a lot because even even when the pass volume isn't there, if it's a guy who's capable of getting you know a decent chunk of rushing yards, then you know that's a very very safe floor. It's you know it, and you know there's been studies done that you know some of these rushers they add basically a quarterback or a, I'm sorry, a uh, uh, what's equal to a passing touchdown uh, every game just just through rushing. So that's definitely a common thing that I look for a lot. And it's something that can translate whether you know they have good teammates, bad teammates, good coaching, bad coaching. You know, sort of situation independent is that rushing ability. Uh, Alex Smith, of course, is uh, you know the, the the banner guy, two QBs, so we we can't uh, neglect him uh, with rushing. So you know that's even games. It's not a super duper matchup. That the, the rushing is always going to be there. So that's definitely something I always like to look at a lot. Um, but outside of that, if we're not talking about rushing quarterbacks, it's, I mean, it just comes down to, you know, situations, the, how good are the teammates, how good are the coaches? Because if, if they don't have the rushing to fall back on, then, um, they need to be getting the ball in the end zone somehow. And, and we need good coaching and team, good teammates. So, uh, yeah, if it's a bad situation, I'm, I'm going to run away. And I think that's why streaming is, you know, so viable, um, in, uh, in single, single QB leagues, uh, re- redraft, of course. Now, one place where situation really does seem to matter, you know, especially in terms of like situation in a matchup is daily fantasy. And uh, you have a DFS podcast called The Big Tilt uh, on Roto Underworld Radio. Um, A great listen. If you folks out there listening or not checking out The Big Tilt, you should definitely be doing that. Um, What sort of quarterback strategy takeaways do you have from your experience on that show in terms of DFS? Like what, what are you looking for in a DFS quarterback week to week? Well, hosting the Big Tilt was awesome. I mean, we had uh, just a, a who's who's list of guests from last year, and uh, that, that was awesome to do. It really, in terms of, though, with quarterback strategy, it really just confirmed kind of the way I've been playing DFS all along, uh, which is to pay down. The, the, you know, the, that's pretty much what you're going to do week in and week out, especially in a cash game where you need to build a pretty viable lineup at, at all the positions. Quarter, saving a quarterback makes a lot of sense. The rushing guys I mentioned in DFS, they can definitely – pay off and and uh, provide a nice uh, a safe floor there now when i had chris raybon on though he he definitely and you can go back and listen to that uh, you know if you search on on twitter or soundcloud you can you can find uh, the archives there but he had he was he had some really good points about paying up a little bit more for quarterback you know uh at the very top you know tom brady is a guy who's always going to be there week in and week out the, the problem in dfs is if he doesn't have that big performance you know if he doesn't hit yardage bonuses if it's not you know, three, four touchdowns, uh, then, you know, paying back that salary, offering that value, it, it, when that doesn't happen, it's going to sink, sink the lineup. But Chris Raybon, who's a great analyst, um, he had some points where he's certainly willing to pay up a little bit more if, uh, you know, if it's a star quarterback and, and the matchup is right. So it's, it's, it's situational, definitely. Uh, you know, you want to try to take advantage of, of pricing, uh, maybe not mistakes, but, uh, you know, any anywhere there's a, a value spot. Uh, Chris was was all talking all about trying to attack those 
but it, it does, of course, vary week to week. But the, the general strategy though for me is, is looking to pay down. So, um, yeah, I, I hope Baker Mayfield plays because uh, this season, because I, I think his, you know, when he comes in, he's going to be really cheap. That's a guy I want to play a lot. Mitchell Trubisky, I've, I mentioned, and I have a lot of notes on on Trubisky here that uh, I know we want to get into. You know, in DFS, especially in these first couple weeks, they price a lot of that based on ADP. And Trubisky going late is going to bring down his DFS price uh, weekly. So early in the season, those are exactly the kind of guys that I'm looking at. Yeah, Trubisky is an interesting one to me, if only because I, I feel like we're putting a lot of stock into this coaching change. And while anybody's going to be better than John Fox, and that is going to make a big difference. I'm not quite sure if it almost feels like we might be overdoing it a little bit with the optimism around Trubisky. And you could say the same, same thing about Pat Mahomes too. Um, but one thing both of those guys do have in common and we've talked to, you've talked about this is that rushing ability. Yeah, I like it. I, I think targeting those guys who are lower cost uh, at, at quarterback in DFS makes a lot of sense and figuring out when to pay up for the more expensive guys is something that I've struggled with in the past. I feel like for me, when I've found success doing it, it's usually been when I find the right stacks with those guys. And the problem with targeting a guy like Brady or a guy like Rodgers is that usually the guys that you would want to stack with are also very expensive, like Rodgers with Devontae Adams or, you know, in the past it was Jordy Nelson. Uh, I've found the most success with pairing, like, like game stacks, pairing an expensive quarterback with a cheap receiver from the other side of the game. Do you think that that's a viable strategy? Is that something that you find yourself doing? Yeah, absolutely. You, you bring up a great point. Yeah, if you're playing, yeah, Rod, or if you're playing, yeah, Aaron Rodgers at a very expensive, uh, you know, price tag, then maybe it would make sense. Say Jimmy Graham is a little bit cheaper that week. Maybe plug him into the tight end spot instead of paying all the way up for for Devonte Adams. Uh, you know, if you play Brady and Gronk, you pretty much need them to to hook up, you know, twice to to pay off that price. So, you know, the rest of your lineup it's it's not going to be you know strong enough. So yeah, you you definitely want to get, you know, as you mentioned, uh, the receiver on the other side that. That makes a lot of sense. Or uh, DraftKings, especially tight ends, are always just part of their pricing algorithm. They're outside of like Gronk and Kelsey. Everybody's pretty priced down relative to to uh, wide receivers. So sometimes going after the the tight end is a good move. Um, the one thing I, I should mention, I'd be remiss to say, uh, is quarterback ownership in general uh, on a full slate is going to vary a lot. So you, you don't ever have to go into a week saying, Oh my gosh, you know, Cam Newton is facing the, the worst defense in the league. You know, if I don't, if I don't play him, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hosed. Uh, it never really works like that. There's very rarely a consensus quarterback unless there's just some really egregious pricing situation. But outside of that, never go into a week saying, Oh, I have to play X. I mean, that you could really apply almost at the other positions, but quarterback especially, ownership is just going to vary so much. Don't ever get completely locked into a guy. So who do you think is, well, let's steer back towards you know seasonal leagues, who do you think is 2018's most overvalued QB? It's got to be Deshaun Watson. Uh, we look at Fantasy Football Calculator. They have him going as the quarterback two early in the fourth round. I am not interested in him at that price. Uh, we have at the at Roto Underworld, our world famous draft kit, uh, we have Watson at QB6. So that's a pretty big discrepancy there. Um, I just, I'm not interested in, in any early quarterback, especially this year. I think it's just super, super deep. But Watson at two, that just jumps out to me as uh, just something that doesn't make a lot of sense. I understand how good he was in that stretch. But I mean, it's very possible that's the best series of games Deshaun Watson is ever going to string together. Uh, 
So, you know, we have to be a little bit more realistic. Uh, that's just too pie in the sky for me. Yeah, we're in lockstep. He's my QB7. Um, who's the most undervalued quarterback this year? Now, if there is a guy that I'm going to get early, you know, maybe I'm playing in a best ball league where I want to get a, you know, a higher end quarterback and then wait, wait a little bit later or a lot later and, and just get a second quarterback on the cheap. I think Cam Newton makes a lot of sense. Fantasy football calculator. He is the quarterback seven. Uh, he's the quarterback three in the Roto Underworld draft kit. So I see a lot of value there. But undervalued, uh, Marcus Mariota, uh, fantasy football quarterback, quarterback, 17. So if uh, yeah, if we're in a single QB redraft league, Marcus Mariota is not getting drafted. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, we have him as a top 10 quarterback at Roto Underworld. And I think in our projections, I think we are a little too low uh, on his rushing. So if he's already inside the top 10, and I think our projections could be a little bit more generous with his rushing, you know, maybe we're getting closer to a top five quarterback if uh, you know he gets a couple of those rushes into the end zone. And, of course, the best part about the Marcus Mariota profile in the draft kit is a video done by Mr. Greg Smith of two QBs. Uh, and that is one of more than 200 player videos that we have in our top 300. More than 60 of those videos are by well-known analysts like Mr. Greg Smith. And, of course, Sal of, Q2, of uh, Q2B, oh, my gosh, two QBs, uh, he did a fantastic video uh, with Alex Smith. So I implore you to check out those two videos uh, and if you go to playerprofiler.com and uh, click on draft kit, there's information there on how you can get a free draft kit uh, when you sign up for FanDuel. So we talked about DFS a little bit earlier. We gave out some great information. If you don't have a FanDuel account, uh, certainly go ahead and do that and get a free draft kit in the process. Yeah, I was really proud of my Marcus Mariota video. And then I saw Sal's Alex Smith video, and it, he just put me to shame, man. I mean, maybe not put me to shame, but his video is so good. It's ridiculous. Uh, you, you guys should definitely go check those out. Who's the toughest quarterback for you to evaluate this year, Eric? It, oh, toughest evaluation, I think, is definitely Dak Prescott. You know, we saw as a rookie over 20 touchdowns only, and then only four interceptions. And that's exactly how you need to overcome limited, limited pass attempts is that, you know, that uh, give, give me a decent chunk of touchdowns with very few interceptions. And then, of course, the rushing ability, as we've talked about, you know, if you're not going to throw a lot of touchdowns and you're going to throw a lot of picks, which Dak Prescott – you know, had a tendency to do, especially in the second half of last year, uh, you know, then that's really going to, that's really going to crush his value. So, uh, you know, getting rid of Jason Witten, getting rid of Jack of uh, Des Bryant, those are certainly things that aren't going to help. I love Michael Gallup. However, uh, hashtag team giddy up has been my <laughs> thing on Twitter, uh, pretty much this whole off season. But I mean, as much as I love Gallup, you know, he might be the only decent receiver, on that team, they want to run a lot. It's just, it's tough. You know, is is Dak good? That's one question. Is this, and even if he is good, how good is this offense? You know, how how bad is it going to limit it? So, it's uh, that's definitely the, the toughest to evaluate. And in terms of drafting, I, you know, I don't know. He's a guy that I'm. I yeah, I don't even know where to rank him. It's it's tough with Dak Prescott. Yeah, he's moved around a lot for me. I had him really low at first, and then I went back and looked at his statistics from last season and the previous season. And, you know, he just wasn't as bad last year as I had, you know, remembered. There was some weird bias in my head where I was kind of bumping him down mentally without really evaluating what he had done. I mean, he had some bad games. Don't, don't get me wrong, but 
for, for me, the toughest evaluation with that Cowboys offense is the receiver core. Like, where is Dak going to throw? Um, I like that, that you're kind of planting a flag on Gallup because, I don't know, like a lot of people are trying to talk me into or talk everyone else into the community into Alan Hearns, and I just don't know if I see it. I don't know if he meshes well with what you know Dak is good at. Like, if anything, I think that offense is going to be a lot of Zeke, uh, a lot of Dak rushing off of, you know, um, you know, play action to Zeke and, you know, short, quick passes. And, you know, it would make sense for Gallup to be the guy to kind of soak up most of those. So I like that call. Um, I'll, I'll probably be looking to move him up my ranks. You might have talked me into that. Let's talk more about QBs, though. In terms of where you want to draft these guys, how long are you waiting? You said you're a late-round guy, but at what price point do you typically jump in? And let's start with one-quarterback leagues. Where do you want to start picking up your QBs in those formats? Yeah, well, actually, just one final thing on, on Dak. In his first six, first six games last year, threw 14 touchdowns, was only intercepted four times, added three more rushing touchdowns. So that uh, yeah you're right you take a look at the some of the statistics and yeah that that beginning that beginning of his season his first six games especially very very good uh but uh, yeah to get into your question you know I, I just to tell you a quick story i mean i once in in my home league i took david garrard in the final round <laughs> of uh of our redraft league so i will wait a very very long time for quarterbacks um you know if if we're doing two qbs though i would love to get a pairing of either Roethlisberger, Rivers, or Cousins, plus, and then as a second quarterback, plus Mariota, Alex Smith, or Mitchell Trubisky. If that can work out, I, I love that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely, I don't mind being the last guy to, to take a quarterback, especially in, in single QB. Uh, two QB, though, I, I like that, that sort of that old man value, the Roethlisberger, Rivers, you know, it's like, Every year, Roethlisberger is on the verge of retirement. You know, we've heard that for like the last like half decade. Uh, and then Cousins, I think, is a guy that uh, doesn't, you know, still doesn't get a lot of respect. Um, so that Roethlisberger's Rivers Cousins, that that's really where I'm I'm looking at. Yeah, I think that's the right tier to consider jumping in into two quarterback format because you're not paying the premium for the elite guys. You're not paying for the overvalued guys like Deshaun Watson or Carson Wentz, and Essentially, at that point in the draft, when you start to look at Roethlisberger, Cousins, maybe Matt Stafford, Matt Ryan, like that tier of guys, that is generally where the wide receiver and the running back talent starts to drop off, in my mind. So that is also where I tend to, to jump in. So we're of the same mind there. Where or Who's like the worst quarterback you'd be okay with starting? Or is there like an in-season decision or a DFS decision where you've started like a notably bad guy? over someone who who maybe like was you could have still afforded in DFS or that maybe you just had on your roster already? Yeah, so in terms of like the worst quarterback I'm willing to draft, looking at ADP would be I, I have no issues waiting all the way for Mitchell Trubisky and, and this is gonna be like the Mitchell Trubisky show. Uh but I'll definitely wait that long. I have no issues at all. You know, he's uh you know still a little bit of an unknown, so many new weapons, the new coaching uh, we, I'm a little worried that, and I think you maybe alluded to this a little bit earlier, we might be sort of like a year away from being a year away. So he kind of figures this all out, but I, I like it a lot. His at Minnesota game, you know, that that's a very intimidating defense that's in week 17. So we don't have to worry about that for fantasy. Um, or in the middle of the season, he plays all four of the AFC East, uh, defenses. So nothing really too formidable there. And the rushing with, with Trubisky last year and only 12 starts, 
he had two games in which he ran for over 50 yards, another one where he ran over 40. So that's a lot. He rushed for eight touchdowns in his final 22 games in college. And eight of those games, he had more than 30 rushing yards. And that's even more impressive when you when you remember that sack yards are counted against quarterbacks. They're counted against collegiate rushing yards. So if we give him those sack yards back, then that looks even more impressive. So to answer the question, the worst quarterback I'm willing to draft, I don't think he's bad at all. But Mitchell Trubisky is, is the, the late round target that, uh, that I've got this year. So who's the worst quarterback you think you've ever started uh, in, in like a weekly setting yeah so let's go back to to uh to 2015 aaron Rodgers without jordy nelson uh was somewhat pedestrian and not very good and uh my younger self was very very frustrated and in dfs i was playing ryan fitzpatrick during that epic run where every week it was touchdowns either decker or marshall uh, that was a great time to play dfs because you, you talk about cheap stacks fitzpatrick and decker were underpriced like every single week and that, that was phenomenal so I said, hey, if I'm playing Ryan Fitzpatrick in my DFS, I better play him here in seasonal with uh, Aaron Rodgers struggling. So I had the guts, uh, and I can only pat myself on the back for this and, and only bring it up because I, I won that league because during the fantasy playoffs, I sat Aaron Rodgers, and I won my league with Fitz Magic. I love it. Uh, Dreams do come true. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I wish things worked out better for him last year in Tampa. I guess he gets a, a little bit of a reprieve in the beginning of this season for issues that, uh, you know, we don't really need to get into. But uh, yeah, man, Fitz Magic, I, I, I love it. I, I wish things uh, had panned out a little bit better last season because I, I tried to sneak him into some DFS lineups and it wasn't pretty. Uh, but yeah, man, that 2015, I'll, I'll never forget that. You really are making me want to go look at the schedule for the Packers versus the schedule for the Bucks in the first three weeks and see if I could try to come up with any case to start Fitzpatrick over Rodgers. But unfortunately, we, we don't have time for that. Um, <laughs> you, you've mentioned Trubisky a lot. Is he the quarterback you find yourself drafting the most often this season, or is it somebody else? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Trubisky, like, again, it's, uh, yeah, if we're doing two QB, he's, he's going to be the guy I'm always going to end up with. In the Scott Fishbowl, I got the, the holy trio uh, for the 2QBs.com. I, I maybe should uh, add you guys as, like, my uh, my sponsor or uh, what have you with, with Scott Fishbowl. But, yeah, I have Marcus Mar- – I took them in, in three rounds consecutively. Marcus Mariota, Alex Smith, Mitchell Trubisky. So, yeah, those are the guys I'm ending up with a lot. That's my three-headed uh, Hydra in the Scott Fishbowl. So, yeah, hopefully they propel me to, to a victory there and um, – yeah, in uh, in best ball leagues and redraft, yeah, those are those are exactly the guys I'm ending up with uh, a lot. I love it. Now, is there a quarterback who you wish you could be drafting more, like someone who you think is good and that you want to have on your teams, but for whatever reason, other people just value him just a little bit more than you, and you keep on missing out? Well, I mean, guys that I wish I could draft because I, I wish they were guaranteed Week One starter uh, duties is Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, I, oh gosh, I can't wait to to see those guys starting uh, each and every Sunday. Um, yes. I mean, Cam, I like a lot. You know, I, I mentioned that discrepancy. Our projections like him a lot more. It seems like that consensus. So he's a guy I'm always like, ooh, ooh, Cam, slipping a little bit more, a little further, a little further. And it's just tough. I, it's tough for me to pull the trigger on it. Uh, but again, like in best ball, if, yeah, if he falls, it, it, that's definitely a great spot where you can justify, uh, you know, going against the, the late QB grain and and, uh, and and trying to scoop up Cam if you know if you have him as a top three guy like we do. So I wish I could get a little bit more of him because it's just so hard to talk myself into it. But yeah, he, he's a guy that's worth taking the plunge on. Yeah, I I really like that Cam is 
I don't know how he's still undervalued because he was undervalued last year and he was good. Like usually when that happens, like the yeah, the well, recoil brings him back. But um, he, well, number one, people don't like him. I think <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, Roethlisberger, and, same thing, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, um, yeah. Ro- oh man, he's a crazy value like every year. But yeah, Cam. I th- and then it's also like you know you've seen Cam limping around, and even though he plays all the time, you know he's got the back, he's had like ankle stuff. You know what I mean? It's Concussions just, too. That, yeah, it's kind yeah, of a, that, the fear is there. Yeah, yeah. So before we get out of here, do you have a favorite backup QB? Um, maybe somebody who you think would benefit from a depth chart shakeup or a change of scenery, you know, getting to a new team? All right, well, let's, let's start with a couple caveats here. First of all, last year, if I was on this show, I would have said, I would have said Brett Hundley. And that didn't work out very well. <laughs> um, so let me, I don't know how much you know about this guy, if you think he's any good. But a guy I was interested in coming out of college was Garrett Grayson. And he was taken 75th overall by the the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. Yeah. But he was really bad in two years worth of preseason, and he was was cut. Now, the Falcons picked him up, but his final two years at Colorado State were pretty interesting. He played with uh, Rashad Higgins, who's on the – I guess he's still on the Browns depth chart. Um, Had a couple of good years with him. I mean, the Saints, they they know players. So – it perked my eyebrows that they took him, but then they cut him. <laughs> like, that's a third-round pick that they just, after two years of preseason, they're like, no, this guy's got to go. And Tom Savage is their backup now. So I don't know if you have any Garrett Grayson takes, but I was interested in him as a prospect coming out of Colorado State. I know he's a little bit older, but, you know, he's he's a big guy. He's got big hands. If you, you know, bring, him up, bring him up on player profile, there's some, some interesting things there. There's collegiate yards per attempt. Uh, I believe it was over 10 in his senior season. So there, I mean, there's some, some little blips there, but, uh, and the draft capital was definitely interesting by a team like the saints. Uh, but you know, there's some horrific preseason stat lines there and they cut him third round pick like that. Uh, there, there's a crazy mix there. So I don't know. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Garrett Grayson? You may have found the only other Garrett Grayson truther on <laughs> earth, Eric. I, I, um, we I, didn't I, plan was, this. I was, I was, we, we we planned the Ryan Fitzpatrick question. We did not plan this one. No, and this is funny because I was trying to get him into like the lower ranks of the two QBs draft guide last season because he was supposed to be the heir apparent to Drew Brees, right? And we talk and and we we're all expecting Drew Brees to fall off a cliff like any day now, right? Just because he's getting so old. And I was like, well, they spent a third round pick on this guy. Right. They know players. They I mean, well, maybe they don't know players. Their draft this year was not very well received by. Uh, you know, the analyst community. But anyway, um, yeah, it seemed like the writing was on the wall for Grayson to become like the the next guy there in New Orleans. And when they cut him, I definitely I, I mean, I'm, I'm not so much of a truther anymore, but for a while there I was. So I really like that you brought him up. I didn't even know he was on the Falcons. So I guess you're going to have to revoke my truther card. But um, that, that's that's funny. I really like that you brought him up. And I mean, you brought up David Garrard earlier, too. He was a guy who I was all about back in the day. I've been drafting TQB leagues long enough to where David Garrard was, you know, one of my guys, uh, you know, way back when. So I, I appreciate that call out as well. I think it's the first time David Garrard has ever been mentioned on the show. That's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I used to play in, in a fantasy my the, the the league that I've referenced a couple of times. I, I played with my dad, and we couldn't be more opposite, man. Like from the get go, I was. Although I should. That's a little bit of a lie because the very first fantasy draft I ever did, I took Michael Vick number one overall, and it was the season where he ran for a thousand yards. So I feel like that oh, was justified. Incredible. But I had no idea. I had no idea what I was doing back then. That was like auto draft time. 
but yeah, when when uh, yeah, my dad, rest in peace. When when we would draft, he would always be Brady Manning. Like he, you know, got to <laughs> got to get the top quarterback. Um, and I think he had Manning that year where he threw what what was the record like forty nine. Whenever Peyton said it. So my dad, you know, my dad had the last laugh there. It's like, oh yeah, you take your David Garrard, I'll I'll take my, <laughs> I'll take my 2013 Peyton Manning, yeah, Jesus, yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, so I've, yeah, I've been a late round QB guy for for a while. Um, so yeah, that's that's cool. I'm glad we were able to dust off some names and, and bring up <laughs> some uh, some players and quarterbacks that people maybe uh, have never played uh, before. Or, uh, yeah, they've uh, kind of lost track of David Garrard, Garrett Grayson, man, great stuff. Hey, before we go, say something nice about this episode's other guest, Matt Kelly. Oh man, hey, Matt's the man. He's uh, he was crazy enough to put me uh, on, on a podcast uh, <laughs> with not not a ton of experience, um, and and uh, yeah, gave me some great guests to work with. So yeah, Matt's awesome. I've uh, I've for for a long time actually since I first started listening to the show and I sent him an email uh, just to say what's up. I I called him the Howard Stern of fantasy football, and uh, I was uh, I was listening to Howard Stern when I was in like uh, like middle school, so I was probably like too young. I would, I would uh, throw in the cassette tape while the bus while the bus rolled up and and <laughs> listen back when I got home. So uh, that's about as big as a compliment as I can give to anybody uh, doing a podcast or radio show as comparing Howard Stern. So. Um, yeah, and that's a guy you, you love him or hate him, but uh, you listen, and that's exactly what Howard Stern's uh, uh, mantra pretty much was. Good deal. Well, thanks, Eric, for joining me on this show. That's going to do it for this two-a-day. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, The 2QB Experience. Be sure to follow Matt Kelly on Twitter at Fantasy underscore Mansion, as well as Eric McClung at Eric McClung. Check out the show description for links to their work. And head over to 2QBs.com to pick up your copy of our 2018 2QB and Superflex Draft Guide. You can follow the site on Twitter at 2QBs and me at GregSauce. Whether you're tweeting at us, emailing us at 2QBs at gmail.com, or typing our URL, spell it out, 2QBs, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Thanks for listening. Adios. Adios.